choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Godspeed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Can I feel out? Okay, I'm out. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? At last, huh? Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 308 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 14, Transposition, Docking, and Extraction. Probe. This is Bruce Morton in Houston, and this is the docking probe, a test model not quite as shiny as the one aboard Apollo 14, but the same machine which has caused so many anxious thoughts and tests here. With me is Bob White, a subsystem manager with NASA whose domain includes the docking probe. Bob, how should it work? Well, Bruce, the probe being mounted in the command module is flown into the uh, drogue, which is mounted into the limb tunnel. The idea being we have a funnel effect here with an apex hole that would capture into the three capture latches in the probe head. Upon capture, the probe latches would lock and you could not separate. If I may demonstrate here... We have a situation where we have the three latches behind the drogue and you cannot separate. Of course, we also have the remote capability of undocking at any time we desire. Transposition, docking, and extraction was, of course, more complex than it appeared and required a lot more practice than it might seem. Docking was a delicate maneuver since both ships were traveling at nearly five miles per second. But the docking mechanism itself was one of the simplest on the entire spacecraft, and the docking procedure had been perfected on previous Apollo flights, none of which experienced any significant problems with docking. This is how the procedure was supposed to go. After disengaging from the third stage, S-4B, the command and service module would rotate 180 degrees along its horizontal axis, using the small reaction control system thruster rockets that were placed on the exterior of the service module in four groups of four. The command and service module's probe extended outward from the docking ring on the nose of the command module, and the command module pilot would maneuver the probe into the docking port of the lunar module. The lunar module rode in its garage on top of the third stage and beneath the conjoined command and service modules. Three small capture latches on the probe would snap outward to establish a preliminary soft dock with the receptacle. The initial capture would be confirmed on board the command module by an indicator on the control panel called a barber pole. The barber pole flipped to change from a solid color to a striped configuration. The probe would then be retracted back into the nose of the command module to pull the two spacecrafts together, at which point 
12 major permanent latches on the command module's docking ring would be fired to secure a hard dock. The lunar module would then be extracted out of the S-4B stage. This is how docking actually went. About half an hour after translunar injection, Rusa and Shepard exchanged couches, and the command module pilot settled into the left seat to begin the transposition docking and extraction phase. Pyrotechnics severed the command and service module from the third stage, and using a hand controller, Rusa slowly worked the small thrusters of the reaction control system to ease the command and service module away and begin to turn it around. The four spacecraft lunar module adapter panels on the upper portion of the third stage unfolded like giant metallic petals, finally tumbling off of the S-4B as other bits of debris unleashed by the disconnection also swirled and tumbled into the void. Look out that window, Rusa exclaimed. Yeah, look at all that crap, Mitchell said. Our data shows that we have separation. We're at uh, three hours, three minutes. Okay, yes, and we've separated. Turn around and start in the past 19 months, Rusa had simulated the docking maneuver so many times that he used less fuel than any command module pilot before him. Now, he was doing it for real, and he wanted that fuel record. Floating above the center seat, Shepard peered through the hatch window as if he were hanging from a ledge by his fingers. He could see Antares dead ahead. Peering through the crewman optical alignment site, Rusa closed on the lunar module drogue receptacle confidently. Going to break the record, man, Shepard said. Slowly, Rusa closed in. Finally, the two ships met. The probe slipped into the drogue receptacle easily, exactly as planned. And then, nothing happened. The capture indicator in the command module retained its solid color. No barber pole abruptly appeared. The command and service module began to drift backwards. Rusa was mystified. He decided he hadn't come in fast enough to trigger the docking latches. He would have to back off and come in a little faster, and he knew that would cost him more fuel. Rusa quickly tried again, but his second attempt failed as well. Uh, Houston, we're about to dock. Roger. That was Ed Mitchell uh, reporting they're getting ready to dock. Uh, we're at uh, 3 hours uh, 13 minutes uh, now into the flight. We're probably uh, a foot, uh, 18 inches to 2 foot out now. Roger. We're at uh, 3 hours uh, 14 minutes into the flight. Uh, we show uh, Apollo 14 at a distance of 6,184 nautical miles. Okay, Houston, uh, we've hit it twice, and 
sure looks like we're closing fast enough. I'm going to back back out here and try it again. Roger. We're at uh, 3 hours uh, 17 minutes uh, now into the flight. Well, we better back off here and uh, think about this one, Houston. Roger. We're unable to get a capture. Roger, Ed. That's uh, Stu Russo and Ed Mitchell uh, reporting that, uh, at least at this point, uh, they're unable to get a capture. We'll stand by. Shepard's crew wasn't about to give up. The culprit might be something as simple as a tiny piece of debris on the mechanism. If so, it should eventually disappear. But they couldn't afford to wait indefinitely. In a few hours, the Saturn's third stage was going to vent its extra fuel. And when that happened, they had better be at a safe distance. Okay, Houston, uh, we backed out a little bit, and uh, that last time I uh, hit it pretty good, and uh, we're just not getting uh, getting the capture latches in there. Roger, we suggest you uh, verify if you haven't already the docking probe circuit breakers on panel 8. That's verified. And Stu, we suggest you go to uh, extend on the... Uh, Docking probe, extend retract switch, and check the talk back to gray. Okay, uh, we did that when we extended, but we'll sure do it again. And then back to retract. Okay, we get both gray in the uh, extend position. Right. And we go retract in both gray. Uh, 14 Houston, one other suggestion, go to panel 229 and check the EPS group 4 circuit breaker. Okay, it says they're both in. Roger. Uh, 14 Houston, we're about out of ideas here. Um, suggest you verify you got it to switch back and retract, and then give it another try at docking. Okay. We're at uh, 3 hours 20 minutes. Uh, Apollo 14 will be coming forward again for another try at docking. For almost two hours, the command and service module attempted to dock with the lunar module, a total of five times, but was unable to get a capture by the probe, and Houston had a ringside seat as they watched it all on TV. Uh, 14 Houston. Go ahead. Uh, we suggest that uh, at the initial contact that you hold plus X for uh, three seconds or so at least. Okay, Houston, we tried it before, but not quite three seconds. Okay. It has a fair, a good rate coming in this time. And here we come in again. Okay, Houston, I hit it pretty good and held four seconds on contact, and we did not latch. Roger. We're seeing it all on TV here. You heard uh, Stu Russo, still no latch. The uh, crew has a period of time that they can continue with this attempt. Uh, the uh, restricting item would be as, uh, as long as we have uh, attitude holding on the S-4B. Shepard broached the idea of the crew donning their spacesuits, which he called going hard suit, 
depressurizing the command module's cabin and removing the probe to inspect it. Houston uh, 14, I'm sure you're thinking about the possibility of uh, going hard suit and bringing the probe inside to look at as we are. That's primitive. Uh, we may have one more uh, procedure to try prior to going to that uh, standby one out. Okay. That uh, was Al Shepard uh, who made the uh, suggestion uh, apparently being considered aboard the spacecraft as, as, as it uh, certainly is uh, here in mission control, that of uh, depressurizing the cabin and uh, uh, bringing the probe inside uh, for a closer scrutiny. We're at uh, four hours, uh, 36 minutes into the flight. We show 14 at a distance of uh, 17,000 uh, 994 nautical miles away from Earth. Mission Control now began discussing contingency plans if the lunar module could not be extracted. Such speculation included, one, whether to return the spacecraft to Earth immediately, or two, in a repeat of Apollo 13's flight, allow it to whip around the moon only once, or three, send it into lunar orbit, and do as much research as possible from just the command and service module. The Apollo 14 crew was not advised by Mission Control that such conversations by NASA managers were taking place, but the astronauts were fully cognizant that such alternative plans were probably being considered. Regardless of the options, in the wake of the Apollo 13 near-disaster, the Apollo 14 crew was now facing the possibility of the end of their mission and perhaps the end of the entire Apollo program if they could not dock the command and service module with the lunar module. Ultimately, a never-before-attempted plan was called up by Gene Cernan, the new Capcom in Mission Control. Hey, Stu, this is Gene. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm clear. Okay, uh, we, we got one more idea down here uh, before doing any uh, any hard suit work. And, uh, and let me throw it out at you and you can come back with uh, your impressions. Uh, we're thinking of, uh, of attempting to, to dock actually uh, without the aid of the probe, which requires some pretty fine alignment. Uh, we're thinking that maybe you could go ahead and uh, go through a normal plus X and uh, put the uh, probe in a drogue and uh, while you're holding a this will help you with your alignment and while you're holding a plus X go ahead and blow a bottle and uh, try and uh, retract the probe now if the probe retracts it should retract well out of your way uh, so that the uh, the actual docking latches, uh, with any luck on the alignment, should make. Now, if you get one latch, we feel we'll will be fat, and we can we can get them all. There's one hooker. Uh, the configuration that we think you might be in uh, electrically, uh, there may be a serious path broken, which doesn't allow us actually to to uh, retract the probe through blowing one of those bottles. But we feel. Uh, it sure is worth a chance or worth a try before, uh, before we do any hard suit work. 
Mission Control's plan was for RUSA to pilot the Command and Service Module back to the Lunar Module and bring the extended probe back to the center of the drogue. At that point, Stu would fire the rear-facing or plus-X thrusters to keep forcing the two spacecrafts together while one of the four available nitrogen bottles was fired to retract the probe. The retracting probe would keep the rings aligned as they came together. Hopefully, as they did, at least one of the 12 docking latches around the docking ring would engage. Assuming there was a slight misalignment of the planes of the two rings, the spacecraft should then straighten up and all the latches should engage. One hour and 42 minutes after his first attempt, Rusa once more steered a course for Antares. About six feet out, called Mitchell. About two feet. About a foot, said Rusa. Okay, here we go. Thirteen seconds later, the command module pilot exclaimed, Okay, retrace. Nothing happened, said Shepard. Nothing? Rusa asked. One second after Rusa's single word inquiry, Shepard abruptly changed his observation, exclaiming, I've got a barber pole. At that moment, he heard the telltale ripple bang of twelve docking latches snapping shut. Shepard announced, We got a hard dock. We got some, Houston. I believe I got a hard dock, Houston. Stand We uh, noticed no response for approximately three seconds after initiating uh, retract one. We then got uh, barber pole on both, went green on both at the hard dock. Roger, Al. That's great. Super job, Stu. Thank you. Had the deep wiggle when he hit it. Apollo Control, Houston. Uh, you heard uh, that report. There was a, a cheer in uh, Mission Control when that report came uh, from Al Shepard. There was a collective exhalation of relief from the command module, Mission Control, and other locations of the NASA organization. Cheers echoed through the Houston Nerve Center. Decades later, Mitchell would still express his admiration for his crewmate's tenacity, saying, quote, Stu did a marvelous job getting the spacecraft into the docking port, and when we fired the main latches, they worked. The subsequent extraction of the lunar module from the S-4B went off perfectly. After the procedure had been completed, Rusa entered the tunnel between the two spacecraft and spent over an hour examining and manipulating the probe, finding no indication of what might have caused it to malfunction. Houston 14. Go ahead, 14. Okay, Bruce, uh, we've cycled it uh, all about four or five times, uh, and it goes in just so easily, uh, the capture latches uh, talk and uh, hold it, and we've tried it by uh, putting uh, the capture latch release handle at 150 and 
putting it up and they move in, we pride it by leaving it uh, yellow to yellow and uh, cocking them by pushing in on the end of the probe, on the uh, probe release plunger, and uh, it works both ways, just real fine. So what you're trying to tell me is we still haven't come up with anything that would be the problem. Uh, that's basically it. Rusa did find several scratches on the receptacle, apparently caused by his docking attempts. Mission Control finally sent word that the inspection could be terminated, but the inquiry and research as to what went wrong would continue on Earth. You've exhausted uh, our imagination for right now on uh, troubleshooting the probe. Uh, we'll work on it some more overnight and uh, be back with you in the morning. Uh, Although the Apollo 14 mission was now two hours behind schedule due to docking problems, the mission would continue as planned, but the non-functioning capture latches would remain an ominous problem. Mitchell recalled that the crew inspected it, it looked normal, and the capture latches worked properly once they got them inside. Mitchell's theory was that moisture got inside the docking mechanism during the rainstorm while they were on the launch pad. Mitchell believed that could have frozen the capture latches. Mitchell also recalled the possibility that other phases of the mission could be affected as well, such as if Antares landed on the moon and the ascent stage lifted off successfully and was unable to dock with Kitty Hawk in lunar orbit. Mitchell said, quote, We had talked about that on the way out, among ourselves, and yes, it was a concern, but the capture latches were working okay once we got them back into the command module. If an inability to dock had happened, we would have had to do an EVA in our pressure suits, abandoning the lunar module and climbing into the command module. Shepard and Mitchell also briefly discussed whether or not they would be able to transfer the lunar samples they would have collected while on the surface, but their conversations didn't get into any extensive details or plans because they didn't think the post-lunar landing docking of the lunar module's ascent stage with the command module was going to be a problem. The press was also speculating about future problems with the docking system. The headline on the front of the February 1st final home edition of the Orlando Evening Star read, quote, Moonwalk plans still up in the air. Docking problem may cancel landing, end quote. An hour after the successful docking, as Kitty Hawk and Antares were drifting away from the third stage on a course for the moon, Shepard, Rusa, and Mitchell settled down to finish up what was becoming a long first day in space. It had been a close call. It would not be their last.
Salutations from the foothills of North Carolina. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode number 308 of the Space Rocket History Podcast, entitled Apollo 14, Transposition, Docking, and Extraction. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a pleasure to bring it to you. If you're looking for old episodes of the podcast, the first 140 are available on the Archive Podcast. Search for Space Rocket History Archive. It should be available on all pod catchers. My sources for this week were Light This Candle by Neil Thompson, Smoke Jumper Moon Pilot by Willie Mosley, Failure is Not an Option by Gene Krantz, A Man on the Moon by Andrew Chaikin, The Internet Archive, CBS News, Apollo 14 Flight Journal, and Wikipedia. Okay, in case you haven't heard, next week, instead of the regularly scheduled podcast, we will have three Apollo 11 50th Anniversary Moon Landing episodes. They will be posted on the 18th, 19th, and 20th. We will relive the landing of Apollo 11 in three consecutive days. On July 18th, I will post episode 219, Apollo 11 Lunar Landing Part 1. On July 19th, I will post Lunar Landing Part 2. And on July 20th, the 50th anniversary, I will post Lunar Landing Part 3. If you are subscribed to the podcast, it will appear in your feed automatically. So if you're not subscribed, go ahead and get subscribed now. Now, I have a super special bonus. Scott Liebenau, with the Chicago area group Making History, has released a new song that I really enjoyed to celebrate the upcoming anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. The song is titled, We're on the Moon. And Scott gave me permission to play it on the podcast. Let's give it a listen. No 
What a great song. Thanks for sharing that with us, Scott. We really appreciate it. Okay, the pictures for this week's episode are available on the website, spacerockethistory.com. I hope you check that out. For those of you who are enjoying the content provided here, you may have noticed that we don't have any commercials or ad revenue, nor do we have a government grant or corporate endowment. We are entirely listener-supported. Please consider supporting the podcast if you are financially able. To support the podcast, go to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com. Click on the orange Donate button to make a one-time donation or the Patreon link to make small monthly donations. All donors are rewarded in four ways. They are added on the donors page at the level they choose to donate. They get a thank you message from me. They are recognized on the podcast and they are automatically entered in the weekly giveaway. We were pleased to receive four contributions this week. Russ J. from North Carolina donated at the Orion level. William W. donated at the Vostok level. Pete P. from Georgia sent in another donation and moved up to the Gemini level. And Tracy W. from Australia donated at the Vostok level. Thank you for supporting the Space Rocket History Podcast. We are now at 230 patrons with a goal of reaching 300 by the end of 2019. Our total donors for 2019 have reached 369 with a goal of reaching 600 in 2019. For the 369 of you who have already donated for 2019, I certainly appreciate it. This week we are giving away the SRH logo magnet to one lucky donor. Here's Mrs. SRH. Thanks, Mike, and hello, everyone. I am happy to announce the winner of the SRH logo magnet. With the help of Google's random number generator, 
I selected Dallas Kennedy. Dallas Kennedy, if you would email us, mike at spacerockethistory.com, and tell us your address, we will mail this out to you. Thank you to all 369 of you who have contributed thus far in 2019. Okay, folks, that's all we have for this week. Remember, the 50th anniversary episodes will be posted next week. So long for now. Here's a little more from Scott Liebenau's We're on the Moon. giant leap for mankind one step ahead and we will never look behind it's a touchdown we are so proud that we've landed safe and sound we're singing Giant leap for man.